Blog Talk Radio. We believe in the American way, and we built this country called the USA, and we fly our flag because we're proud and free. We're Americans. Red, white, and blue is our way of life. Never back down from a challenge or a fight. Nature provides, God gives the rights. We're Americans. Make up America. It's amazing America. Welcome, Patriots, to our Convention of States podcast, titled, That Provident Article, a reference given to Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution by James Madison. Our opening theme music is Amazing America, used by permission of Madison Rising, America's most patriotic rock band and endorsers of the Convention of States project. This podcast series is a weekly discussion concerning the fifth article of the U.S. Constitution, the amending provision with a general view on the phrase Convention for Proposing Amendments and specific focus on the Convention of States Project. For more information regarding the Convention of States Project, please visit www.conventionofstates.com. My name is Paul Hodson, and I've been a volunteer with the Convention of States Project in Texas since early 2014. Our goal is to continually educate ourselves on Article 5 to bring timely information relating to the Convention of States Article 5 movement and to promote the use of Article 5 to rein in our federal government. Our contact information here at That Provident Article, my email address, TexasDC for HD58 at gmail.com. That's Texas, D is in district, C is in captain, the number 4, H is in house, D is in district, the number 5, the number 8, at gmail.com. Uh, my Twitter handle is the same, at TexasDC for HD58. You can go to our Blog Talk Radio website, blogtalkradio.com, TexasDC for HD58. And we're on iTunes now. You can search for that Provident article and you'll find us out on iTunes. Uh, a reminder, our call-in number for the call-in portion of the show, 914 205 And now for the news, Convention of States News, August 22nd, 2015. Again, I invite you to go out to the Convention of States website, conventionofstates.com, and go to the news tab to follow these stories. Uh, First off, the video of Michael Ferris's appearance on C-SPAN's Washington Journal last Monday is now available. You can go to the website, go on the news tab, pull that up. It's 45 minutes long. I'd also invite you to check out an article there uh, on the website written by South Carolina's Convention of States Legislative Liaison, Claude O'Donovan. The, the article is titled, The State's Convention Can Roll Back Overreach, and it was posted out there on August 17th. Um, O'Donovan's uh, argument is that this is the most important legislation in in South Carolina that can be passed, and that's near and dear to my heart. As that's an argument I make here in Texas to our state legislators, to anybody who will listen, that there's nothing more important that can be done here in Texas, nothing more important that can be done in your state, than to have a convention of states application passed because. 
anything else those state legislators do uh, ends up being impacted by the federal government or could be impacted by the federal government, this is their opportunity to take their power back and to take their authority back and to rein in the federal government. Make that argument to them. Uh, another article out on the website is uh, State Leaders Embrace Convention of States at the ALEC 2015 uh, conference. This was written by Garrett Humbertson. Uh, he's created some great videos for the Convention of States project, and he's uh, parlayed that now to be the video production specialist for the Citizens for Self-Governance. Uh, I would invite you to subscribe to Garrett's YouTube channel so you can view all the great work he has done. Uh, I'm sure a lot of it is also posted out on the Convention of State site. Uh, he's going to continue to do great work. Uh, just some fantastic, really slick videos. Uh, he's got uh, a background and education and degrees in video production, and it shows he, he's done a, a terrific job so far. Uh, finally, out on the website, another story. The Louisiana State Convention of State Leadership, they met in Baton Rouge to regroup, to strategize, and continue their efforts promoting the Convention of States application in their state. I know that our state leadership here in Texas, we've had a few very uh, small meetings. I think we want to do something a little bit larger. We are already beginning to, to regroup and strategize for our upcoming uh, year next year. We don't actually have a session until 2017 again, uh, but we have a, a huge state convention to uh, attend next year, and of course uh, all the elections going on uh, in the run-up to the uh, 2016 November election, the campaigning. Uh, all the states around the nation can strategize, regroup, uh, continue to promote these efforts across our nation. The presentation portion now of our podcast, once again we want to start off here with slide number one, Article 5, the Congress. On the application of the legislatures of two-thirds of the several states shall call a convention for proposing amendments which shall be valid to all intents and purposes as part of this Constitution when ratified by the legislatures of three-fourths of the several states or by conventions in three-fourths thereof, as the one or the other mode of ratification may be proposed by the Congress. And a reminder of our Convention of States application here on slide two, the legislature of the state of fill-in-the-blank, hereby applies to Congress under the provisions of Article V of the Constitution of the United States for the calling of a convention of the states limited to proposing amendments to the Constitution of the United States that impose fiscal restraints on the federal government, limit the power and jurisdiction of the federal government, and limit the terms of office for its officials and for members of Congress. Uh, just a side note on something that uh, Mike Ferris posted back on August 8th and uh, some of the current news going on with Planned Parenthood and, and just how could the COS application actually be used? What what does it mean, what we're trying to do? What are, what's, how can that actually rein in the federal government? So the question that Mike asked was, where does the Constitution give Congress the authority to fund Planned Parenthood in the first place? And the short answer to that is, it doesn't. There isn't anything in the Constitution giving Congress that authority. They claim their authority from the General Welfare Clause in Article 1, Section 8, Clause 1 of the Constitution. Now, according to the Supreme Court, the General Welfare Clause means that Congress can spend money on any fool thing they want, the, anything they want to. However, 
the founders, the framers, did not understand the general welfare clause in that manner, that it was not a grant of power in their mind, but a limitation on power. That clause is saying to Congress, when you spend money that you are authorized to spend, do so in a way that benefits the general welfare of the entire nation, not some local project and not some private deal with your political friends. So if we could stop the misuse of the general welfare clause, we would not only defund Planned Parenthood, but every form of federal spending that is driving the national debt would be eliminated. Slide four. Uh, again, how would that? How could that clause be fixed? You could propose a constitutional amendment which reads something like this. I'm going to quote this from Mike Ferris, what he posted. The General Welfare Clause contains no grant of power to Congress to expend funds for any purpose beyond its express enumerated powers. Moreover, Congress may not expend funds for any purpose within the jurisdictional competence of the several states. The General Welfare Clause requires Congress to ensure that all expenditures pursuant to its enumerated powers are done for the general welfare of the nation as a whole, not a local project, nor for the benefit of any private interest. End quote. Washington, D.C. will never willingly propose such an amendment to restrain their own authority, which has been bestowed on them through the Supreme Court rulings, not the original intent of the Constitution. And thus, we have the need for our Convention of States application in 34 states so that we can have this national discussion and we can begin the process of reigning in our federal government and bringing fiscal order to our nation. A quick reminder here on slide five, again, the purpose of these presentations, I know they are detailed. Uh, that is my point. I want to give as many footholds and handholds to scaling this rock wall of the Convention of States application and the challenges to Article Five as possible to give you the tools you need uh, for any opposition you may face. Okay, we're going to continue with our... Uh, series from last that we started last week on what did the framers know and when did they know it. So this is part two. Let me give here on slide six a very quick recap on what we covered last week. As Rob Nadelson said, quote, the framers did not write nor did the ratifiers adopt Article 5 on a blank slate. Uh, he also said the founders understood a political convention to be an assembly other than a legislature designed to undertake prescribed governmental functions. And there was some terminology we covered last week. It's going to be important as we dive into uh, some other topics here this week. The word call, that was the initial invitation to meet. That's all it meant. There was geographical identification given. A general convention versus a partial convention. General convention means everyone, all the parties uh, in the all the states or colonies are invited. A partial convention, and there were quite a few of those in which uh, more regional in nature, uh, states or colonies who might have specific issues they want to discuss uh, in their region. The scope of topics or issues, uh, what would be called a plenipotentiary convention is that's where the topics are unlimited and there really weren't very many of those. Uh, less than a handful of those were done. Most were very limited or what would be broader in scope but still topical. The word committee that was a colonial or a state delegation. That was who your delegates were. And they were actually called commissioners. And that's where we get to the phrase commissions or credentials. And those were the actual documentation that your states would give your commissioners, which would give them their topics that they could 
cover, the topic or topics that they were allowed to discuss, and the authority they had, the voting power, um, what they could and could not agree to at a convention. So we're going to look now at some conventions prior to the Constitutional Convention here at slide 7. There are a lot of slides here, 13 total that we're going to look at. They're going to all look the same, so we're not going to spend a lot of time discussing the detail. Uh, just highlight the commonality between these and the, the, the precedence that was set at these conventions. So we have the 1754 Albany Congress. Uh, this was to conduct diplomacy with the Six Nations of the Iroquois. Uh, it was called by the British Lords of Trade. There were seven delegations. That means seven colonies at that point. Twenty-five total delegates. So uh, typically these conventions or congresses, as they were called uh, back then, before our Continental Congress, uh, they would they would consist of anywhere from two to five normally delegates selected, and they were selected by the colonies. The scope was limited. The rules were determined by the Congress, the Albany Congress, not not uh, a separate group of people or, or national legislators. It was determined by the actual group meeting, and one of those who were attending was Benjamin Franklin. Slide 8, the Stamp Congress of 1765. There's information there as to what that was dealing with. The, this was really, even though it was the Stamp Act, they were dealing with all the difficulties and circumstances, uh, the Acts of Parliament coming uh, from Great Britain. And uh, this was called by Massachusetts, nine delegations, 27 delegates. Again, selected by the, by the colonies. The scope was broad. Once again, the rules were determined by the Stamp Act Congress, not by uh, an outside entity. Um, and in this one, we have the record that one colony and one vote was their uh, voting privilege, their suffrage. Uh, some of the attendees, John Dickinson, William Samuel Johnson, and John Rutledge. These attendees I'm mentioning, these are all men who ended up being at the Constitutional Convention in 1787. Again, just showing you some of the experience some of these men had. Uh, ben Franklin, you know, 1754, the previous one we saw, that was 33 years before the Constitutional Convention. John Dickinson's a, a, a big player at the Constitutional Convention. Here he is some uh, 22 years earlier than that at the Stamp Act Congress. Uh, our third one here on slide 9, the Continental Congress in 1774. The colony were issued the colonies issued credentials they granted them very broad authority to consult and recommend solutions to the crisis with Great Britain so this obviously was leading up to the revolutionary war uh, this one was called by the New York Committee of Correspondence the letter actually went out from John Jay uh, one of the authors of the Federalist Papers this was a general convention all the colonies were invited 12 of the 13 showed up 56 delegates again selected by the colonies this is one of those plenipotentiary uh, in scope conventions. Uh, everything was available to them to discuss, to actually form a new government. Um, the rules and the committees, again, determined by the Continental Congress, the, the meeting of those men themselves. The voting, the suffrage was one colony, one vote. Uh, some of the men involved, George Washington, John Dickinson again, William Livingston, Thomas Mifflin, George Reed, John Rutledge, Roger Sherman. Uh, these are men who end up being involved at the Constitutional Convention. The Providence Convention, 1776-1777. This is a regional convention about military matters, currency, public credit, called by Massachusetts House of Representatives. 
Again, the delegations and the delegates selected by the the delegates were selected by the states. Broad in scope, the rules determined by the convention. There's no record of the suffrage there. Um, they were actually fairly evenly represented, so it wouldn't have been an issue. Slide number 11, the, new, new, the, the Yorktown Price Convention of 1777. One of uh, a few we're going to see here, which is dealing with price control, an interesting issue that the states were having at that point in time, trying to control uh, the goods imported into the, into the states from other states, uh, trying to regulate that. Uh, this was called by Congress. Uh, there were six delegations there, so again, one of those uh, partial conventions, not a not a general convention. Eighteen delegates, again, all selected by the states, scope limited. Once again, the rules determined by the convention, there is no, no uh, evidence that rules or committees were ever determined by any, any others besides those who actually met at a convention. And again, there's no evidence at any time that the suffrage was anything other than one state or one colony, one vote, uh, where there are records of voting. Slide number 12, the Springfield Convention in 1777. Again, dealing with uh, economy, paper money, monopolies, interstate trade barriers. Uh, these were proposals only which came out of this, uh, nothing that would be enforced. It was called by Massachusetts, five delegations, 11 delegates total, again, selected by the states, broad in scope, the rules determined by the convention. There's no record of the suffrage there. This one was attended by Roger Sherman. Slide number 13, the New Haven Price Convention, 1778, again dealing with uh, economics, the uh, paper money, uh, again, proposals only called by the Continental Congress. Uh, this one had uh, eight delegations were called, only seven uh, showed up. 21 delegates were ended up being selected, but only 18 again showed up. Those were selected by the states. The scope was limited uh, to, the, to those economic issues. The rules, again, determined by the convention. The suffrage there, one state, one vote, and it was attended by Roger Sherman of Connecticut. The Hartford Convention here on slide 14 of 1779 was to promote uh, free and general intercourse upon principles correspondent with the public good, effectually to cut up and destroy the practices of those people who prey both upon you and us. Uh, so it was called by Massachusetts. There were five delegations invited, 14 delegates total invited, 13 attended, again selected by the states. The scope was limited to that uh, letter A up there promoting the uh, free and general intercourse upon the principles, uh, rules determined by the convention, no record of the suffrage there. Uh, some of the attendees included Oliver Ellsworth and Nathaniel Gorham. Slide 15, the Philadelphia Price Convention of 1780, another one of these interstate price control conventions, was called by the Hartford Convention, which we just mentioned. Uh, Ten delegations were called, only seven attended. Twenty total delegates attended, again, selected by the states. The scope there was limited. The rules again and the committees were determined by that convention. Uh, there's no record of the of the voting and the suffrage, uh, but the attendees included Oliver Ellsworth again, Roger Sherman, and now Elbridge Gerry, who is a, a major player in the Constitutional Convention. Slide 16, the Boston Convention in 1780. Now we start, to, as the Revolutionary War has more impact, uh, military affairs. It was called by Connecticut. 
Three delegations. This is a very small convention. Again, one of these partial conventions. Three delegations, only five delegates. Again, selected by the states. Scope is limited. The rules are determined by the convention. No record of the suffrage there. And this was attended by Nathaniel Gorham. Slide 17, another convention in Hartford. This one in 1780. This one concerning military affairs. This was called by that previous convention we just mentioned, the Boston Convention. Now we have five delegations. Nine delegates uh, in, and eleven in de uh, nine of the eleven delegates invited attended. They were selected by the states. The scope of that convention was limited. The rules again determined by the convention, and there is no record of the suffrage at that. Slide 18: The Providence Convention of 1781. This one had to deal with military affairs again. It was called by the state of Massachusetts. Four delegations, a partial. Uh, convention here. Four delegations invited, five total delegates, another one of these very small conventions, selected by the states, all the delegates. The scope was limited, the rules determined by the convention, and uh, no record of the suffrage there, but with five delegates for four delegations, uh, again, not really an issue. And then finally, slide 19 here, the Annapolis Commercial Convention in 1786. Uh, this is an important one. Uh, we'll look more at the detail and the history of this when we actually cover the history of the Constitutional Convention. This is the precursor to that. Uh, the topic was commerce. The convention itself was called by the state of Virginia. It was a general convention. Invitations were sent to all 13 states, but only five delegations ended up showing up with 12 delegates, and those delegates were selected by the states. The scope there was limited. The rules were determined by the convention. Uh, there was The suffrage was not relevant because there there wasn't enough, basically, of a quorum there to warrant any vote, so it was mostly discussion and proposals. Uh, attendees there, we got we got some who's who of who ends up at the Constitutional Convention. John Dickinson again, George Reed, James Madison, this is his first experience in conventions, Edmund Randolph, Alexander Hamilton, William Churchill Houston, and Richard Bassett. Uh, notable attendees, uh, men who were influential in writing and... Uh, writing about the Constitutional Convention, even though they did not attend, Trent Cox and St. George Tucker. Uh, again, our attribution, we, we did a lot of our research out here. Uh, Rob Nadelson's done a lot of that work for us, but I actually did go out to some of the source material he references uh, in his document, The Founding Era Conventions and the Meaning of the Constitution's Convention for Proposing Amendments, Florida Law Review, May 2013, looking at the introduction, defining the confusion, and the overview of prior American experience with conventions and their records and terminology. So some terrific stuff out there by Rob Nadelson out on his constitution.i2i.org convention site. And we have time now for some phone calls. Again, a reminder, the guest call in line, 914-205-5632. Quick going over the ground rules. Please speak respectfully to me and to whoever else might be on the line, whoever might be listening. That's no foul language, no derogatory or defamatory remarks, no shouting or yelling. We're here to keep to the subject. Article 5, specifically some of the history here we've covered today. And we want to encourage dialogue with each other. That means we pause, we listen to each other, hear what we have to say. Let's go to the phones. And we have no phone calls. Attending again, um, let me just encourage you once again to get out uh, and meet your legislators. Go to the meetings, go to party meetings, 
whether you're you're Republican or Democrat, go to party meetings. There are uh, pre-campaigning and campaigning going on already. So most of these meetings you will see either the representative, the state legislator themselves, or somebody who represents their office will be there. You can you can meet with these folks, introduce yourselves, promote Article 5, ask them where they stand on this if you are unsure already, if they are already supporters. Again, give them great encouragement to uh, continue to pursue this. Uh, go to any other types of uh, political meetings uh, of like-minded folks that you're interested in, any of the uh, Tea Party or 912 groups, 10th Amendment groups, uh, any of the liberty-loving groups, um, go ahead and get yourself involved. Um, meet some other folks who are like-minded. There are a lot of folks there who don't know what Article 5 is. Encourage them so that they can join in our effort here at the Convention of States Project and that they can join us in attempting to restore our constitutional republic. We're going to go ahead and, and finish up for now. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and play out once again Madison Rising and the Star-Spangled Banner. And that's a wrap for this episode of That Provident Article. I'd like to thank Madison Rising, America's most patriotic rock band, for playing us out with the Star-Spangled Banner. Be sure to visit their website at madisonrising.com and check them out on iTunes or Amazon Music. Also, thanks go out to Mark Meckler, founder and president of Citizens for Self-Governance, and Michael Ferris, head of the Convention of States Project. And more thanks to our state leadership team here in Texas. Don Glacy, our membership coordinator. Martin Harry, our legislative liaison. Tom Dowdy, our coalition's director. And Tamara Colbert, our state director. These patriots have put in thousands of hours of volunteer time for the cause of liberty, and I count it a great privilege to work with them. Because we are the brave. Yes, we are the brave. We'll fight you in day.